Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance we have to worship tonight. And we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to praise your name. Lord Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by you. And we thank you, Lord, for victory in Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have uh, during the middle of the week. Uh, for those of us who can gather here physically and others who can join us electronically, we're grateful for all the ways that we can gather in these days. We pray your great grace and mercy upon, um, on all of those in our church who have needs. And we pray for those who are sick and who are struggling and those who are lonely and those who are defeated and those who are rejoicing and those who are having great victories. Whatever our emotions from the highs to the lows, we thank you that you are with us through them all. And we thank you, Lord, for the Word of God that is our encouragement, our guide, our, di our direction uh, for our daily life. And we pray that you might be with us during this brief time we have now in your Word tonight. May we be encouraged by the Word of God as we seek to follow you and to do what you've called us to do. We thank you, Lord, for the ministry of this church, and we pray that you might help us to be faithful to do and to accomplish what you want us to do here in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Good to see all of you tonight. If you have your Bibles, find your place in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we're going to do something a little bit different tonight. And I'm, uh, during these days, we're not uh, publishing or printing the outline, and I'm sorry for that. Uh, but uh, out of safety, we're not going to do that during these days. Uh, if you're able to and you're ever able at home, you can always... Uh, print it off on the, from the uh, from our website. But tonight I want to uh, continue to talk to you about things you need. Things you need. And tonight I want us to take the time. We don't always do this, but I want us to walk through uh, these 21 verses in Romans chapter 12. These verses in Romans chapter 12, I think, will be a great blessing to all of us. Uh, they're very familiar, and all of, knowing who's here on a Wednesday night, very familiar to most of you. Uh, you've, some of you have taught them, you've heard them preached and taught through the years. But I want to put them together as we consider and think about things we need during these days in which we're living. And I hope that it will be an encouragement to you. So we'll, we'll read through chapter 12 together. Keep your Bible open, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll look at that. Before I get to that, let's think about this great book, the book of Romans. There was already a church in Rome. Paul wrote to them, uh, came, was, was anxious to get to be with them, and as his ministry was finishing, he was in Rome there appealing to Caesar and sharing the gospel with everyone who would hear. So some of the Romans is, in a sense, uh, it's one of those places like you go in the, the country where you see the mountain peaks, the high peaks, the great mountain peaks of God's truth. And in Romans, you know, sometimes we call it the Roman road. Sometimes there are various places in the book of Romans that are very familiar to us. So just follow me along for a moment. And let's be reminded of some of these things before we come to chapter 12. It'll help us to have this in mind, what we're going to be looking at. 
in Romans chapter 1, we're reminded in verse number 18, Romans 1, 18, that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So we discover at the very beginning of the book of Romans, Paul is making the case that God's wrath is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And then we're reminded in Romans chapter 3, those famous verses that, that we've all heard and we've mentioned many times in our life, uh, Romans chapter 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the wrath of God is revealed for, on all sin, and Paul expands on that in Romans 1. By the time we get to Romans 3, Paul is reminding us that the whole world is guilty of sin. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Verse 24, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So we're justified, sinners are justified by the gift of God's grace through redemption, salvation, which comes in Jesus Christ. And then Paul expands and talks about the cross and the satisfaction that was made for our sins so that we might have our sins forgiven and be justified. Uh, chapter 4, we learn these wonderful truths uh, about being justified. We, we read in these words, what then shall we say, verse 1, that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not. For what does the scripture say? Here it is, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So we follow the pattern. The, the wrath of God is revealed against all sin, regardless of how it displays itself, religious sin or, or wickedness of sin. Uh, and then we discover that all have sinned and that all can be justified by the grace of God through the cross of Christ. And so how, do we, how are we justified? Well, we're justified when we follow the same pattern as Abraham. We believe God and it is credited to us for righteousness. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, when we are justified by faith, what happens? Now Paul begins to talk about the results of being justified and being saved. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6, chapter 5. While we were still helpless, at the right time, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse number 8 of chapter 5. God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then it goes on. Oh, chapter 5 of Romans. What a wonderful chapter on the benefits and blessings of being justified. And then chapter 6. We learn these very important words that we have been connected and united to Jesus Christ as a result of being saved. We're not only justified, but we're united to Christ. Verse 4, therefore, this is Romans 6, 4, therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. 
newness of life, being united with Christ. Verse 5, for if we have, this is 6, 5, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So what do we do? Because we're united to Christ, verse 11, consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, verse 12, don't let sin reign in your body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be shall for for sin shall not be master over you verse 14 for you're not under the law but under grace. Then we come to that great chapter Romans 7 of course reminds us of the battle that we face. We continue to deal with indwelling sin all the days of our Christian life. We're saved by the grace of God by faith, we're united to Christ. We have to consider ourselves dead to sin, alive to God. We must uh, present our bodies to the Lord, as we'll see in Romans 12 again, for His purposes. But we must kill sin in our lives each day and recognize that we still have this battle to deal with with indwelling sin in our lives. And then we have those wonderful words, chapter 8 of Romans. Oh, so much in chapter 8 of Romans. Therefore, verse 1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No more are we condemned. We're no, long, no, no longer under condemnation. The law cannot accuse us of guilt of sin that hasn't been covered by the, by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he goes through and begins to teach us in Romans 8 about walking in the Spirit and how we live by the Spirit. Uh, however, verse 9, Romans 8, 9, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Now, it doesn't mean you don't have your body. The point of it is now you live your life as a spirit-filled, spirit-guided, spirit-directed person. And so you're not living according to fleshly impulses now, church. You're living now by the Spirit of God. And so then he talks about the importance of following the Holy Spirit. He says these uh, famous words that we've seen. I've preached and uh, we've shared these words many times together. Romans 8, 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit are sons of God. The leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives directing us demonstrates and shows that we are children of God. And as a result, verse 17, of being God's children, we are inheritors of what God has promised for us in heaven. And then the glory of great victory that he describes at uh, the end of Romans 8. So much has been written about this. So many times we've preached, if God is for us, verse 31, who can be against us? Nobody, nothing, nobody. There's nothing in all these things, verse seven, uh, 37, we overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. And then those great words of Paul. What was he convinced of? I am convinced, 38. 838, I am convinced that neither death, life, angels, principalities, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, nor any other thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Then we find ourselves, uh, as he speaks about Israel and what it is that God will still do in dealing with Israel from 9, 10, and 11. And then we come, after all of these things, these wonderful truths, we find ourselves in this great, great chapter, Romans 12. And here for just a little while, I want us to do this and walk through it. I'll just make some comments about it. Tonight, what I'd like for you to do is use this opportunity to evaluate in your life this. These are the things we need. My, my focal truth around Romans 12 tonight is based on really what we read in verse number 2. And that is that we have a duty to God and to others and to ourselves to live out the will of God in the world. We have a duty. I hope you all hear me tonight. You have a duty as a Christian to live out the will of God in the world. And so Romans 12 is as practical as you can get describing living out the will of God in the world. So let me divide it up, and I'm sorry I don't have this for you in some kind of form, but I'll just, if you if you'll just hear me, I'll go through each of these. There are four basic divisions in Romans chapter 12. Number one, Believers need holy bodies and renewed minds to do the will of God. That's the first principle. Believers need holy bodies and renewed minds to do the will of God. Uh, that's verses 1 and 2. Second, believers need serious self-examination to do the will of God. That's verses 3 through 8. And I'll go back through these in a moment. I'm just giving you the highlights of it. First, believers need holy bodies and renewed minds to do the will of God. Verses 1 and 2. Believers need serious self-examination to do the will of God. Believers need, number three, love for one another in the family of God to do the will of God. In order to do the will of God, believers need love for one another or need to practice the duty of loving one another in the family of God. This is verses 9 through 16. And then believers need to do good to enemies in order to do the will of God. Now let's go back and read here, beginning in verse number 1 and 2. Therefore, so remember Paul, you all know this, I'm, I know who's in here. When the therefores of Paul come, he's very logical. Therefores come to make a conclusion or application on what he's been teaching. So we've gone through all of this that I just surveyed with you about being justified, united to Christ, uh, having the Holy Spirit of God in our life, being overcomers and having victory in Christ, and having the ability to overcome sin in our daily lives. Now, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Notice verse 2 now. This is where I want you to see it. So that you do all of this, so that you may prove the will of God, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Look. God's will for your life and mine is good, acceptable, and perfect. So tonight we talk about how to prove, to demonstrate. This word means to test. 
that you may test what the will of God is. And so Paul lays out for us, this is the way God intends for us to live. He intends for us to live a certain way, dealing with ourself. He, he, the will of God deals with how we're to deal with one another in the church, and the will of God deals with how we're to deal with those who are enemies to the gospel and who do, who do not accept what we believe and follow what we believe. So let's just walk through it together tonight, then we're going to have some prayer together as we finish up tonight. So first of all, believers need holy bodies and renewed minds. That might surprise you. We spend so much of our time, uh, and we should, teaching about the importance of having your, your spiritual life, your soul, your mind, will, and emotions in the right place. But I want you to remember, your body is very important to God. Your body is very important to your service to God. I read it to you earlier. I go back and read it to you again. First of all, Paul, what does he say? Therefore, present your bodies to God as a living and holy sacrifice. So there is a responsibility for every one of us in this room who are followers of Jesus to present our bodies as holy bodies. Useful, our bodies cleansed from sin. Our bodies not engaged in sinfulness and wickedness. Paul said it earlier, Romans 6, 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body to obey its lust. What do we do? What do we do with our bodies when we lust? Well, we act on things that do not help us. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body and obey its lust. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as a, alive from the dead, your members as instruments of righteousness to God. I ask you tonight, have you considered the importance of your body? I'm talking about your hands, your feet, uh, your eyes, your mouth, your ears. Have you considered your body as a weapon of God? Well, you see, we're not spirits floating around. We are, we are, we are spirit, soul, and body. That's the way God made us. And so our bodies matter to God. What did Paul say in Corinthians? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. It is the sacred place now. The sacred place of God is the Holy Spirit of God is in you. You're united to Jesus Christ mystically, as Paul says also in Corinthians. Why would you go out and commit sexual sin and, come and connect the Lord Jesus into sexual sin? This is a very important matter in the days in which we live. Some some have dismissed the idea, well, I can do whatever I want with my body. It's, it's only my soul that matters to God. No, 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 friend, no. You see, to do the will of God, you do it in your body. And so we have this, we have this principle here that we have present your body a living sacrifice to God. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what does Paul do? He says, you have to have a holy body and a renewed mind in order, verse 2, to prove what the will of God is. By the way, when I live with a holy body and a renewed mind, I prove to other people, here is the will of God and how you can live in victory and joy. The world must see proof of the will of God and how people can be changed by the gospel. And that happens when Christians live 
by first of all presenting themselves to God. So the question is this, when you come to pray, when you start your day, do you present yourself to God? Do you present your body as a living, holy sacrifice to God? You're, you're not using your mouth in a dishonorable way. You're not using your body and your hands and your feet, your flesh in a dishonorable way, in a sinful way. You are presenting yourself to God. You're presenting yourself to God alive from the dead and in holiness. That matters greatly. That means we don't do things that other people do. That means we don't drink things other th people drink. That means we don't take things other people take. That means we observe discipline in, our, in, our, in the way we handle our body and what we do with our body. Holy bodies and renewed minds prove the will of God. So God is merciful, so we present our bodies to a merciful God. A holy body for service is acceptable to God, and we do not, we do not conform to the world. This is the pressure we're in today, the pressure of conformity. But be transformed by renewing your mind. So every day we come to this issue. If I'm going to do the will of God... If I'm going to do the will of God in my life and fulfill His purposes in my life, I must have a holy body and a renewed mind. Secondly, I must seriously examine and really know myself. Look at these verses. Let's just follow it through. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, first of all, Here's the first step of self-examination. By the way, what do you do when you go to the doctor? You have an examination. You have an examination. You're updated to evaluate. If you, 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 have an, you have an examination in school. When you've covered certain material, you have an examination. Now this is a matter of examining yourself. This is such an important matter for us as Christians. Self-examination. How hard are you on yourself versus on everybody else? How did the Lord say it? Why, do you, why don't you take the lumber out of your own eye before you try to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye? It's easy to sit back and judge other people. That's an easy thing to do, to judge others. But how carefully... My dear brothers and sisters, do we judge ourselves? And this is Paul's point. He says, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of, your, of himself than he ought to think. Some of us have inflated egos. Some of us think highly of ourselves. And because we think highly of ourselves, we live in pride and we demand our own rights and put ourselves first. That's not the way to prove the will of God and to do the will of God. We must think, we must not think highly of ourselves, but think as with sound judgment, he says in verse 3. In other words, know yourself. Do you know your weaknesses? Do you know the things that if you submit yourself to them, you will go into sin? Do you know the kinds of people and crowds you can't run with? Do you know the kinds of things you can't watch or listen to? Do you know the kinds of people that you need to separate yourself from? You don't need to hear those things. This is very important. Do you know yourself in order to walk with God and to do God's will? Well, you must not think too highly of yourself. You must think of yourself with sound judgment. And then notice what he says in verse 3. And you must recognize that God has given you spiritual gifts 
that must be used for his service. He says it this way, Think with sound judgment about yourself, as God has allotted to each of you a measure of faith. And then he describes this wonderful, uh, from verse 4 all the way through verse number 8, he describes not all, but some spiritual gifts. And every one of you who are believers in Jesus Christ here tonight, you have been given, as Paul says, a measure of faith. Some have greater gifts, some have gifts that aren't as strong in this, that, or the other. That is given sovereignly by the Lord. We have no choice in those things. These are not talents. These are spiritual gifts. As a result of the Holy Spirit being in you, you are gifted spiritually. And you must use your giftedness, listen, to do the will of God. God uses your giftedness to accomplish His purposes in the church and in the world. Verse 4, For just as we have many members in one body, that's the church, as Paul describes in other places, you know, you have the various parts of the body, all must be together. They're not separate. A finger isn't by itself, a toe by itself. No, it's all connected for just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function. All of us here tonight, we don't have the same functions. We all have different gifts. He goes on in verse 5, so the many are one body in Christ. And he says this very interesting phrase in verse 5. We are individually members of one another. We all belong to each other. Now, if the church of the Lord Jesus Christ can ever learn that lesson, it'll change the way we treat each other in the church. We all belong to each other. We all belong to each other. In fact, Paul lists... Through his letters, I believe, 12, 15, one another's, or phrases, love one another, comfort one another, exhort one another. What does he say that for? Look, you aren't an isolated individual believer alone. You are now, as he says here, individually members of one another. What you say has an effect on other people in the body of Christ. What you do has an effect on other people in the body of Christ. The way you think about yourself and the way you conduct yourself, the way you whether, the, your, whether you have holy bodies and renewed minds affects others. You are not, no longer are you connected only to yourself. You're not living as an island, no, no. You're not only united to Christ, but you're united to all the others of God's people. This is a very significant point and not often thought about by God's people. You don't necessarily live in the same house. Thank goodness we're not all living up here at this building all the time, 24 hours a day. But you're united spiritually together with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You are now, you belong to one another. If we could learn that lesson, what an important thing. So look what he says. He describes a few of these gifts. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to each of us, exercise your gift. So I'm exercising the gift of prophecy tonight, preaching. It is the idea of speaking the Word of God based on uh, the truths of God. If prophecy, preach uh, according to the proportion of your faith. What you've been given, do the best in your preaching. Do the best in your preaching. He goes on to say, 
And not only prophecy, but service. He says, if service, do it in your serving according to the measure of the strength of your service. If it's teaching, teach. If it's exhorting, which means to encourage other people, we need encouragers these days. That's what the church needs. We need, our, we need our exhorters to step forward. We need those of you who are gifted with the, the gift of exhortation. That's not just preachers. That's all of God's. If you are one of those who are an encourager, we need you encouragers to step forward in these days of discouragement. If you are an exhorter, if you're an encourager, he says, encourage. If you give, if you're giving, if there's this this ability to give, you give graciously. And then he goes on to say, uh, if you, you, you give liberally, and you, if you lead, you lead diligently. And if you show mercy, you do it with cheerfulness. So that's an example of some of the spiritual gifts in this church. I ask you tonight, do you know your spiritual gifts? And are you using them to prove the will of God? Well, we go on to the third thing. Believers, and this actually now connects to our love for one another in the family of God. Let's look through this for just a moment and I'll move quickly. There are, and, and I'm, you know, this is my frustration. I, I wish I had this in print for you to see. There are 12 necessary ways that we love one another in God's family. 12 of them. I'm going to give you these words uh, and then I'll go through them. As we, as we read through, I'm going to give you a word to describe what he's saying. First of all, we show our love to one another and prove the will of God in our relationships with one another by our sincerity with one another. And that's in verses nine, uh, in verse number 9 where he says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. Don't fake love people. Don't do, you know, it's that, it's that southern thing. You know, you smile, oh, how you doing? When they walk away, bless their heart. You know, don't, don't do that. That's not what we do. No, don't. Have real love for other people. Don't be hypocritical in your love for one another in the church. Don't be hypocritical in love for what be sincere. Secondly, be discerning. It says, abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Do you know the difference between evil when you see it and good? Well, that's discernment. Pay attention. Be sincere with one another within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Love one another with sincerity. Be sincere in your love for one another. Be discerning in the church. Hate evil and cling to good. Be affectionate in the church. He goes on to say, 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. What a beautiful phrase. Give, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. You know, when you see, you see it sometimes a, uh, in, a, in a husband and wife who've lived together a long time, you'll see the devotion that the husband and wife have to one another. They're devoted to each other. They try to help them. They try to care for them, each other. There's a devotion. There's a devotedness. To, are you devoted to others in the church? Do you demonstrate a devotedness to others in brotherly love? Well, that's what we're supposed to do. We're to be devoted to one another because we're united and connected to one another. We must be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And then, not only affection, but honor. We're to be sincere. We're to be discerning. 
We're to be affectionate toward one another, and we're to show honor to one another. In a world of dishonor, we're to show honor in the church. In a world of dishonor, we're to show honor in the church. Give preference to one another in honor, verse 10. Give preference. Give someone the benefit of the doubt. Give preference to one another in honor. Demonstrate honor so that little children who come to church can see real honor. They don't see it anywhere else. Give preference to one another in honor. And then enthusiasm. There ought to be enthusiasm among us. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in the Spirit, and serving the Lord. Enthusiastic. Don't, don't lag behind in diligence. Be diligent to do these things to one another. Don't, don't, uh, don't lag behind. Don't fall behind. And be fervent in your spirit and serve the Lord in all that you do. And then patience. We've talked a lot about this in these days. Rejoice in hope, verse 12. Persevere in tribulation and be devoted to praying. That's what we've said we should be doing during these days. Rejoicing in hope, enduring our troubles, and devoted to pray. And I hope that's true for you. That must be true for our church. So the marks so far, sincerity, discernment, affection for one another, honor for one another, enthusiasm in our work, patience in our troubles, and patience in our praying, and then generosity, giving to the needs of the saints, contributing to the needs of the saints, 13. Do you know the needs of some brother or sister in Christ? Well, then take care of it. Take care of it. Contributing to the needs of the saints. It's not just the idea of writing a check, giving money. Contribute to the needs of the saints. There are all kinds of needs. This is what we do as God's people. We contribute to the needs of the saints. And we practice hospitality. Hospitality. That's not a southern thing. That's a biblical thing. Hospitality. We entertain the stranger. We welcome people to our little group of people in Sunday school. We don't have a closed group. We have an open, hospitable group. We always are welcoming of someone else to come to the table. You know, aren't you glad somebody along the way opened up and said, Welcome, come join us. I hope you'll do the same. That's what the church is supposed to do. Hospitable. And then goodwill. Bless those who persecute you, verse 14. Bless and do not curse them. It's easy to not show goodwill to people who harm us and treat us wrong. Goodwill. You've been cursing anybody in the church lately? Be careful. Be careful. That's not an honorable way for us to live with one another. We must show goodwill toward one another. That means... I think the best of you in order that I might be a servant to you in all that I do. Demonstrate goodwill toward people even when they treat you and harm you. And then sympathy. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. So today, just like many of you, I called some dear people in our church who had great news today. 
about their physical condition or something in their family. And at the same time, was notified of one of our dear ones who, in their family, their loved one died at 12.30 this afternoon. There is this idea in the church somehow that we've, we've got to make sure that we, we, we make everybody happy, but there will never be a time when everybody in the church is happy. That's why Paul writes it this way. I hope you'll learn this in ministry in the church. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That's the condition of the church at all times. Some are rejoicing and some are weeping. And some are weeping and some are rejoicing and some weep for a long time. A long time. And some rejoice for a long time. That's what we do. We, we get rid of these ideas that, that we've somehow transported into church that we want to make sure everybody's all right. I've said it to you many times, be kind to everybody because everybody's having a hard time. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And weep with those who weep. That's showing love and proving the will of God in the church. So sympathy is important and harmony. Be of the same mind with one another. It's the idea of understanding how to think together about the truths of God, the Word of God, the gospel, and what we're to be doing together. We must have the same mind in our objective to prove the will of God. Be of the same mind toward one another. Don't be haughty in your mind, verse 16. Associate with the lowly. This can read another way or associate or do lowly things. We have a group of our men and women every week who spray chairs and clean up after every service. We have Sunday school, lowly things, cleaning up during these days, doing lowly things, doing things that nobody takes any glory in, Lowly things. Be of the same mind. Don't be haughty in your mind. Associate with the lowly and do not be wise in your own estimation. You see, I must have humility about myself. Well, finally, believers need to do good to our enemies. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone, verse 17. Never Pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. You know what? Sometimes it's hard to, it, the pressure around us to conform to everybody's opinion about what's right and wrong. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. People need to see you respect what is right, whether they like it or not. Do we as God's people respect what is right in the sight of all men? It's right or it's wrong. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Do your part. Do everything you can to be at peace with others. Those who take advantage of us, those who mistreat us, those who uh, mock us for our faith, seek to be at peace with them. Do whatever you can, as best you can, to be at peace with all men. 
19, never take your own revenge. Never take your own revenge. Oh, the bitterness some people carry. The bitterness some people carry and the vengefulness they have in their hearts towards someone who has harmed them, perhaps in a broken marriage relationship or some other kind of situation in the family or whatever else. Oh, yes, it's so hard, isn't it? When someone truly takes advantage of you, hurts you, grieves you, harms you, not to take up your own revenge. Never take your own revenge, verse 19, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Paul reminds us from the scriptures in the Old Testament, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So what do we do? We give our enemies what they need, food or water. If they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them a drink. In so doing, you bring blessing on them. You bless them by giving them what they need. And then we finally end with these wonderful words in verse 21. This is, this is how we prove the will of God. Do not be overcome by evil. Oh, the pressure of the day in which we live. The evil, the evil of our days. Do not be overcome by evil, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. But overcome evil, how? With good. So this is how we prove the will of God. Number one, believers need holy bodies and renewed minds to prove the will of God. Number two, believers need serious self-examination to prove the will of God. Number three, believers need love for one another in the family of God to prove the will of God. Number four, believers need to do good to enemies to prove the will of God. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer and let's just uh, let me guide you in some praying tonight as we finish. All of us have in our minds someone who is suffering tonight, someone who's troubled. And let's just pause now. And those of you who are watching with us, you can do the same with us. Perhaps there's someone on your heart tonight, on your mind, in a special way that's going through some very hard times. Let's just pause for a moment and ask the Lord to bring that person to our minds. Let's, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to join together in our minds, weeping with those who are weeping. Weeping with those who are weeping who've gotten the sad news, who are living in sad, hard times. We pray for them tonight. We pray that you might strengthen them and that you might give them what they need, that they might experience the comfort that comes from you. You are God of all comfort. We pray that you might, by the Holy Spirit of God, comfort them. If they're not saved, may they sense their desire and need to call out to you to be saved. Now tonight we pause and we pray for our nation. We don't pray for our nation the way that we want to pray. We pray for our nation that the will of God will be done in our nation. 
So we pause for a moment to pray for the United States of America. Heavenly Father, this is our country. This is our homeland. But we are also strangers and aliens to this place, longing for the heavenly city in heaven, which is our home. We pray for our country, the place in which we've grown up and our children and grandchildren will grow up in. Until Jesus comes, we pray that your will would be done, your purposes would be accomplished in these days of virus and uprisings and anger and trouble, in the elections that come in our country and all kinds of levels of government. We pray that your will would be done. We also pray for the churches, not only our church, but the churches of the world tonight. And we pray, Lord, that what we read tonight in Romans chapter 12 will be true not only of our church. May we live by these principles here, but may they also be true for all of God's people around the world tonight. Some in great, great difficulties and hard, hard straits. May you encourage them. May you encourage their pastors and leaders. May you strengthen the people to do the work that you've called them to do. We pray for the churches. We pray for your people, the church, to prove the will of God by the way we live. And finally tonight we pray what the Lord taught us for the return of the Lord Jesus. We pray for the Lord to come. We pray for the coming of the Lord and for him to finish his work in this world. And we pray for the coming of the Lord. We pray, Lord, that as we finish tonight, we recognize that all days will not, our days will not always be the same. And we know that for some of us, our days are shorter than longer. We pray that we might number our days and we might be faithful to be your people in these times in which we live, troublesome, perilous times. In the hardness of the world, we know you are coming in these last hours. We pray, come Lord Jesus. May we be ready. May we live as godly men and women to honor Jesus in this world of hatred and wickedness. I pray now, Lord, for my brothers and sisters who are listening or who are here with me in this place. Strengthen them, encourage them tonight. And we pray that we might truly be renewed in our minds and present our bodies to you for service so that we might prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God in the days you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. God bless you all. Good to see you. And may the Lord bless you. Hope to see you Sunday. If you're watching, join us if you're ready. Come on back. Come on back and be with us. If not, join us online. May the Lord bless you. Say hello to somebody on your way out and have a good evening. God bless you.